1: Kia and welcome once again to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with your hosts Sean Barker and Sam Davis.
2: Now we're grateful to you for tuning into the show wherever you may be around the world. And I can see through the webcam, Sean, that you are a blaze of pink today as you are rocking that third kit. I am. I'm a big fan of this one and it's a shame because it sounds like it's only going to be a one season colour because next year we're going to have new shirts. Yeah, I know. They've got the half price sale on at the moment, haven't they? Well, I'm wearing the blue and yellow half-and-half half yellow coaches strip. Do you remember that? Can you remember the year? I can't remember the year, but my heart, my memory of that, I seem to think Michael
1: Dubry was on loan from Chelsea in that kit. Or was that the all-yellow? No, I think it was yellow and blue. I remember a game away at Bristol Rovers, and I think we won 1-0, Jason Brissett scored.
2: Sean, you are good. <laughs> thanks
1: sam so coming up on the show today
2: we try and bring some sense and order to the heavy four 0 defeat at the hands of manchester city we also hear your fan thoughts on the game including big t's disagreement over the choice of man of the match That was brilliant. And then Sean takes off his trousers and sits behind the news desk to bring us the latest happenings from the club. That is normal behaviour for a newsreader, right? Standard, standard. (laughs) Let's hope so anyway. With my trousers firmly on, though, I'll be bringing you the social media review of everything AFCB from the past week. Yeah, and the feature this week, it sees Sam
1: get beaten by an eight-year-old at a shooting contest and then an exclusive, exclusive interview with Cherry Bear as Sam checks out the Premier League
2: matchday fan zone at the Vitality Stadium. And then Alex Deutsch tells us how to pronounce his surname correctly during this week's supporter profile. Then we preview the upcoming Premier League game against Aston Villa. So, whether your trousers are on or off, Let's get going with the show and your fan thoughts on the Man City game. Same scoreline, Bournemouth 0, Man City 4, a very comfortable victory. The game was won in the opening 20 minutes with goals from Fernando de Bruyne, and Sergio Aguero. Kolarov wrapped it up in the 92nd minute with a thunderous finish. City had the luxury of withdrawing De Bruner, Silva and Aguero early in the second half with PSG on the horizon. Good responses from City after their recent troubles. Bournemouth 0, Man City 4.
0: That's Big T from Bournemouth. Just coming back from the game against Man City. Uh, Matt Ritchie once again man of the match. You are having a laugh. Who is letting these people vote that Charlie, man of the match? And man of the match, he gave the ball away so many times to Man City. It's just a joke. It must have been a Man City player person He's man of the match. Just add enough of it. Add enough of it. Sell it. Get rid of it. God's sake.
1: Hi, Sam. Hi, Sean. It's Mike here. Uh, it's Sunday evening, and I was just about getting over the City result and enjoying my weekend, and then Ben Stokes went and ruined it. Um, yeah, look, you cannot play two in midfield. Uh, including Union Kane against Man City's five, Fernando Fernandinho, Silva, De Bruyne and Navas. It's just not going to work. Um, things aren't helped further when Charlie Daniels starts believing
2: he's Paul Gascoigne and tries taking on the entire Man City team single-handedly. Um, those three that went on Sky Sports, Richie, Sermon and Cook, they
1: may as well have turned up wearing sombreros, in sunscreen and with suitcases under their arms because the whole squad has been on the beach since the Swansea game. Uh, But hey, it's our turn to play Villa next so uh, up the cherries.
3: Sam, Sean, I'm glad you've asked me this question as to what I thought of the champagne capitulation at Dean Court at the weekend. It's been the only thing keeping me occupied yesterday as I waited for the slow crossrail train to Oxford after missing the fast one due to an escalator refurbishment at Paddington Station. Well, anyway, to my decision, well, those first 20 minutes, dreadful, awful, as I said, a shampoo. Bollock! Not even those seagulls would have stayed till half time. Uh, with a couple of exceptions this year, we've done well against the uh, the bottom teams, but against the best teams, we've uh, had what can I say, brain farts. And I'm thinking about you, Charlie Daniels, here. You and you're running across the penalty area with uh, facing the whole of the Man City team in attack. Um, this is the sort of opportunity where my primary school PE teacher would have told me, if in doubt, knock it out. So, overall, it's a good season, but we really need to improve. Otherwise, these seagulls fill in the uh, extra capacity for the stadium. Even those guys aren't going to turn up.
2: And a big thank you to Richard Williams. Now, if you don't recognise his voice already, you must listen to some of our previous podcasts at afcbpodcast.com. He was the one that suggested that the new Ted McDougall stand, the new bigger stand, is going to be filled full of seagulls. What a guy. Thanks very much, Rich, and thank you to everyone who gave their comments about the Man City game. Well, Kevin De Bruyne starred on his return after two months out as Manchester City reinvigorated their top four hopes with a sparkling win over our mighty cherries. Now, three of City's goals came in the first 18 minutes with Fernando opening the scoring from a Navas corner and then De Bruyne made it 2-0 when he volleyed home from David Silva's flick. Sergio Aguero then headed a third. There was no response from Bournemouth, and it got worse towards the end of the game, where Kolarov blasted in City's fourth, four-nil winners. Sean, what did you think of the game overall? Oh, Sam, it wasn't a good day at the office, was it?
1: It was not a good day at the office. It started really kind of pre-game when we had the the team and the formation. I guess is I guess the first thing we really want to talk about we'd spoken in episode 5.5 about what formation we would shape up. When would it be four, four, two, would it be the four, five, one? We went four, four, two, although it wasn't long till we changed that. Did we?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's really difficult to, um, to criticize now. I mean, in hindsight, we look at things and say four, four, two, what an awful decision. How do we come out? One nil winners. We'll be saying what a bold move. That was absolutely brave. um, I did say on previous shows I couldn't see O'Kane fitting into a 4-5-1. Not sure I do a, but a 4 uh, Sorry, a 2 but we'll talk more about that a bit later on because I'm sure that uh, fans will have their say on the Twitter online review about certain players as well. But I was really surprised, especially as with Spurs, with 4-4-2 we got pulled apart, it seemed well even after sort of six or seven minutes that it was just going to go the same way wasn't it
1: it was and that was the problem with it is that we've seen history has kind of showed us against these top sides that we have consistently struggled um in terms of ball retention and in terms of trying to boss the middle when we've been light in that area i mean even when we've had five in there at times we've been we've been short with a phobe being off injured as well, I thought, well, maybe that lends itself to us making the changes we discussed about, which was bringing an extra midfielder in and taking off, you know, instead of having the is it King or is it a Fobé that gets dropped if we change our shape, I felt there was a chance there for us to change it. Um, it just didn't look that confident. I mean, I know we had that chance very early on for King, where grabbing on the quick break. Probably was a little bit delayed in his through ball to King and pushed him a little bit wide, but I mean, after that, it was just mad city, wasn't
2: it? Although we didn't really help our own cause, did we? No, we did. By the way, just to sort of roll it back a bit, we—I mean, I've had a busy week at work last week. I—I I wasn't aware of the Benneka-Fobe strain before the game itself. Was it? Was it news or, that was made public, or was it pretty much on the day that's when everyone found out? Well, I hadn't seen anything about it. And I tend to
1: spend hours just looking at stuff online. So uh, yeah, I I guess I'm presuming it was when, well, it was when he came back from his trip to Congo that he got the strain while he was away. So I guess we would been planning since his return for him not to play. So I don't, I presume it wasn't a last minute thing, put it that way. So we must have been training and talking about this shape
2: for the last few days at least. Sean Barker, I spend a lot of my time looking at stuff online. We'll not uh, say that to your other half, will we, eh? Uh, But yeah, so it started very early. What was it? Seven minutes or so. And that's when the first goal came. Uh, That was, well, it was a, it was Fernando. And he opened the scoring from a Navas corner. It's a funny one. The corner was played in quite low. To all intents and purposes, it was a poor corner. But it seemed to wriggle through. Whether it had a flick, I'm not entirely sure but it was when it actually met the foot of Fernando it was a very assured right-footed side-footed finish so Sean could you really lay the blame anywhere with that goal oh it was a pretty crap goal to concede really I mean you could see their, their
1: idea I think was the near post it was meant to be some kind of flick but the the player missed it And it just fooled four of our players. Four players kind of reacted slowly and let it go past them. And then Charlie Daniels was meant to be marking. And it just just kind of summed up the rest of the game, really. It was just a split second too late in reacting to the ball, which meant Fernando got there first and then
2: hooked it past Boric. Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't long before it was 2-0. And you mentioned Charlie Daniels there. I don't like to uh, place the blame at certain players, but I think you've got to with that. What he was doing was suicidal, surely. It was. I mean, we've seen him do it a lot. So I don't, I don't believe you can really have the
1: argument of he shouldn't have done it. He should have just pumped it down the line. He should have just pumped it out for a throw-in. I mean, there, there. if you watch us over the season, we don't do that. We know we don't. We, we play from the back with, with pace and attack, I think <laughs> is how it goes. But, you know, it's, it's, it's written in the, in, literally written in the hymn sheet that that's what we do, and it works for us. It was a really poor touch during that dribble. He had the opportunity, and nine times out of ten, he would do that dribble, and he would have flicked it to O'Kane, or he would have flicked it to Francis or Sermon, and we would have been away. But it was a sloppy touch in that dribble that forced the ball away from him, and, of course, they pounced. And from there on, what a goal. Yeah, wow. Incredible. The scoop, the flick back, and the volley. I mean, that was absolute top level and showed us that if you do make a mistake against these top sides like that,
2: then as we are now for, for, well, we found out this season, you get punished. Yeah. I just, uh, I just remembered, I forgot from earlier that first goal, by the way, if you get the chance, if you get the chance to watch the replay, Oh, there's a guy in the crowd grinning, a Cherries fan, grinning himself to death over that goal. He just looked as if he was happy to be there, which, to be honest, seemed to be the attitude of some of the Bournemouth players during that game. But if you if you take a look when the players are celebrating, he is grinning his face off. <laughs> Would well, do you know forwarding to the third goal when Aguero yeah. scores there's a guy walking
1: <laughs> out of the tunnel that's just been to the toilet and I am convinced he does a little fist pump <laughs> a really discreet little fist pump you watch it back he's coming out of the tunnel on his own he looks a little bit sheepish either I don't know either I don't know what it was he's happy about maybe
2: he got a deal on a burger or something but yeah. there's a definite little fist pump so the third goal that was when Jesus Navas raced the byline and he, and he lifted over a cross and Aguero's not the tallest guy in the world, was he? And he managed to just rise above, headed it in. Steve Cook sort of tried to clear it and... I don't know. I've got an issue with Artur Boric here. Yes, the ball went over the line, but he didn't even look bothered to even try to pretend that it didn't. I know we've got goal line technology. So yeah, it's going to be, you know, whether it sort of goes in or not, it's going to be proven by the little watch that the ref wears, but he wasn't even bothered. He he actually backheeled it into his own
1: net. Well, funny, on the All Departments podcast, great episode this week with Michael and Jeff. Jeff said that at the time, he thought that, it was actually Cook had kept it out and then Boris just casually (laughs) backheeled it. And I thought at the first, it was like, oh, that's all a bit cash. But actually, when you watch it back, it was a good three, probably three yards over. It was well over. So yeah, if it had just been, maybe we could have tried a sneaky and then obviously the rest watch would have beeped unless it wasn't working. But no, it was well over. But an incredible jump from Aguero and a great header. I guess, again, you have to hold your hands up to that. Smith just got totally dominated, so he couldn't jump. And then was it Francis that was kind of close, but not close enough? Yeah. Again, it's a pretty poor goal to concede.
2: Yeah, I agree. And there were a few um, swings and roundabouts during the sort of second half with substitutions, which we'll come on to um, just in a second. But. We've talked about this uh, flurry of goals. We might as well just finish it off with the last one. It was City who had the final word, and uh, as they, as they should have done, really, they dominated the match. And it was effectively the last kick of the game, where Alexander Kolarov surged into the area, down the left, and fired. Well, it it wasn't unstoppable into the opposite corner of the net. Uh, have you got any thoughts on that last goal? That just summed up the day, really, didn't it? Yeah, no, it really did. It really just so it was quite interesting then. Um, the second half performance, well, the first half was effectively a write-off. The second half performance, and as we'll sort of mention later on in our online review, there were some people that said, yeah, you know, we were we were, we were much better second half. But then City didn't exactly have their foot on the gas, did they? But it was quite interesting. Um, there seemed to be a bit of uh, activity on the substitutes bench that you realised, Sean. Yeah, it
1: was um, just... Before um, before Smith got injured, Iturbe and Gosling were both fully kitted up. So the jackets were off, the tra- the pants were off, the trousers... Were- not pants, pants are trousers here. Okay, their pants the were time. firmly off. Their trousers were off. They were both ready and waiting to come on. And then they delayed it because Smith got injured, which then meant Elphick got changed. And it was just interesting to think what was that change going to be? So we were going to see Iturbe and we were going to see Gosling both coming on at the same time. Now, O'Kane didn't come off for Gosling near the end, did he? So I presume that wasn't the change. I was watching the game. I, I felt Gradle didn't didn't bring us anything. And I, actually, I thought, man of the match, Matt Ritchie, I thought had a pretty poor game. So my money was on Gradle and Ritchie both coming off. Gosling and Aturbe coming on. Um, but of course, we'll never know because then the injury to Smith forced Elphick to come on and then a Aturbe put his jacket on. And I just, I wonder with a Aturbe, there's two thoughts I've got. One is like, what is the situation where he will come on? Because... If we're chasing the game and we need a goal, okay, maybe we would have seen him, but we didn't see him. And there's been other games when we've needed a goal. When we've been ahead and we've needed to hold on, he hasn't come on. Is that because he's not defensive? Unless – and here you go. Here's my Colombo. Just one more thing. Was that better? (laughs) That's better. Unless – okay, here you go. Conspiracy theory. Eddie and Jason think that he's incredible. And they reckon next year he's going to be amazing for us but we don't want teams to really find out how good he is. So we're not playing him at the moment because he's awesome in training. We're going to pick him up, but we're going to negotiate the fee because we're going to go, hmm, we didn't really play him, so we're not going to give you the 16. However, we'll do it for whatever. And then next year, he's going to be like Stanislas didn't play in the championship,
2: amazing this year. You heard it here first, folks. You've been watching too much Murder, She Wrote, Sean. I don't know what it is, but that, that, I don't know. That's a bit far-fetched for me. If he, if they're good enough, they should be playing. That You know, that's my only opinion. So, overall then, I mean, I've got a few issues that I want to mention. I do want to mention a few players individually. Um, you know Kane. He is a bit lightweight. Uh, it's okay for when we're playing a lightweight midfield, he's okay against the lesser teams. I, I did say a few podcasts ago that I could not see how he would fit into 4-5-1 uh, with Arthur and um, and Sermon. Now, I fear when he's in a 4-4-2 four, four, as well. I remember reading a while back on Twitter, actually, when relegation was a real threat, and Stu Bramley said, if Harry Art is injured, we're screwed. And it does seem to be the case in a way, because there is a severe lack of grit and doggedness and determination in the middle that just leaves us chasing shadows really yeah I think you're right I mean I I I really like
1: O'Kane and there was a period of time when he was our main man I wonder whether partly he doesn't quite have the same freedom that he used to now Sermon is kind of the go-to so Sermon's the one that picks the ball up from the back four whereas you know when O'Kane was doing really great when he was playing regularly for us a few years ago, it was a cane that was coming to get the ball and he was able to float around and pick off and make those little passes. And maybe we're trying to get him to do something now that's kind of competing with sermon. I'm not sure. I mean, is it the old Lampard Gerard thing? Can we not play them both? But then I just, yeah, I, I think whoever you had in the middle there, if you're playing two against that team, I think
2: it would have been a struggle.
3: Mm.
2: Okay. So Sean, 90 minutes gone, just pretend you're at the Vitality Stadium, you're in one of those executive boxes, and some guy comes up to you, he's obviously a club official, he says, so Sean, you're obviously from this company, you're sponsoring the match, who's your man of the match? Who would you say?
1: Yeah, but just before they read it out, I was thinking, um, Francis did okay, I think there were some times he would it wasn't, I don't know, was it a man of the match performance? Do you know, The player that I actually, I'm going to side with him because part of the union, but I don't think he actually really did anything wrong was Arda Boric. I mean, yes, he conceded four goals. So it sounds ridiculous. We're giving a goalkeeper a man of the match, but I don't think he could have done anything with any of those goals. And he made a couple of really great saves. I mean, we're really scratching the barrel.
2: Yeah.
1: Is that the scratching the barrel? Is that what you say? Do I you scratch a barrel? No, you <laughs> scrape a barrel. Don't scratch it. You scrape a barrel. We're scraping a barrel. But uh, Matt Ritchie, I I, I didn't get at all. Like, he, he gave the ball away a lot. His touch was pretty sloppy. Having said that, I do think we need to point out that after however many minutes it was, he was playing pretty much as another centre midfielder, yeah. which yeah. I don't think we've seen him really do this season, especially not when we're when we're that far behind so he wasn't really playing in a position that is natural to him but was he man of the match no but then we always i mean this has always been over over the years you you can think back to games where do you remember there was a period of time where it was whoever scored the goal got man of the match
2: yeah yeah i know well i i just uh, you know what the beauty of playing on the wing is that invariably, 75% of the time, you're going to be tight on the touchline. You can only pass in one direction, right? When you're in the middle, there's a lot more to do. There's 360 degrees of pitch around you and not 180. Some players can absolutely revel in this, but Matt Ritchie, he didn't. It was horrible to watch. The amount of wayward passes was, was unreal. And as Stu Brownley said on Twitter, it's like they're... You know, they're still on holiday. And I've got to say something about Dubai. Last season, when they went to Dubai, you, you know, log on to Cherry's player. You see all these videos of them training and you think they're hard at work. This year, not one video of them training in Dubai. I don't know, call it conspiracy theory, but, you know, it would have been nice just to see some kind of training session. But we've had no evidence of that. And judging by the performance against Manchester City, well, they were still... um they were still on their holidays
1: oh sam that 's very harsh i i 'm very very harsh i would i would I would question that i I think and this I guess is part of the bigger picture. I think the lads have done incredibly well this year and and the professionalism of them i don 't think can be questioned and interestingly, just in the last twenty four hours, Steve Cook has come out to challenge uh, Alan Shearer who pretty much just said the same as Sam Davis. So tomorrow I hope that uh, Neil Parrott's going to pick up a big revelation and we're going to hear Steve Cook questioning Sam Davis of back of the net <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the same comments. But he basically said, no, he worked really, really hard. And then he made an interesting point, which was, I know a few players, myself included, may have said that we were safe after our victories a few weeks back where we got up to our 38 points. Mm. But we know that it's not. Makes me wonder that... I think, because you can see how unhappy Eddie was. I would have imagined that in the sheds, Eddie was pretty wild with them and possibly it got raised that a few lads had made comments that give the appearance that they're slacking off. I don't think they're slacking off. I think we've played two really, really top sides who for different reasons are really fighting for points and we got totally outclassed. However, we
2: also played badly in both those games, but... Mm mean to sum up, I mean, in fact, you've just recently had a tweet, haven't you, from a Mr. Jamie Williams to AFCB podcast, Sean? He did, yeah. Jamie just made a comment just saying, "Struggle, mention our
1: struggles against top sides with ball transition and inability to stop players getting in between the lines. Now, yep, the ball transition, so going from, from back through the middle to the front has been a bit of an issue these last couple of weeks. The pressing that Man City put on our back four Um, meant that our midfield needed to work really hard to find space to pick the ball off with four in there versus their five that's always going to be tougher. So I think that's probably part of it. Yes, we had two guys up the top, so it didn't look like we were that isolated up the front, but we never just, we never got the ball there. Uh, Jamie's comment about getting in between the lines we covered, um, particularly in the Spurs game, it was really noticeable. I actually felt we were more rigid against Spurs than we were against Man City. I felt against Spurs, we were that two lines of four and they were getting in between. I thought we were all a bit of a mess against Man City. I don't... I didn't really see that shape. Yes, they they did they did go in between the lines and we didn't pick them up, but I just felt we were just a little bit sloppy and a bit unknown in our shape really.
2: Mm. So obviously later on we're going to be talking about the Aston Villa game and the potential defensive lineup. I think I know how it's going to be, but one thing I just want to say, Tommy Elphick's comeback was great to see. Yep, definitely. Welcome back, Skip,
1: and uh, yeah, really great to see you back and get well soon Adam Smith also uh, King had been a bit poorly so hopefully he's tucked up in bed and you know he's got his Lucas aid like we used to drink in the old days and he'll be back really really soon but we're going to move on now to find out more about your thoughts after the game online as well as just kind of a general review of all things social media
2: So up until Thursday it had been a very quiet week in the world of AFC Bournemouth as the international break once again came into prominence and once again of course provided some highs and lows over the space of four days from clamours of we're going to win the Euros to same old England. So there was very much a lull on the forums, blogs and in the Twitter sphere until that is midweek when there was a cryptic tweet from a certain Callum Wilson who decided to tweet five smileys in a row. Incidentally, maybe it's one for every goal he scored this season. Who knows? And he's still top scorer. Anyhow, the news had emerged that Wilson was back in training and then came the videos on Cherry's player to prove it and this provided supporters with a lot of excitement with some rumours rife that it might even be available for the game against City. So, there was inevitably a lot of glee floating around with Amy Nichols tweeting I'm guessing you've had good news, can't wait to see you back. Steve Butler tweeted The man from Del Monte said Yes! And then Robert Murphy tweeted Don't leave us hanging like that. You're back Saturday, aren't you? Well, as it turned out, it wasn't an instant comeback of gradle proportions. Alas, he didn't even make the bench. Anyhow, onto the match itself, and as Sean and I debated last week, the lineup would prove to be very interesting. Would it be 4-4-2? Would it be 4-5-1? Who'll form the centre midfield? Now, as it happened, Benicophobe was ruled out of the game with a strain. Therefore, it was a front two of Graben and King that began the game, with Union and Andrew Sermon being centre of the park. Now as you heard earlier in the show, it wasn't exactly a vintage performance against the boys in blue as we went 4-0 down to a classy city side who absolutely ripped us apart. Now online, the majority of people were singing from the same song sheet as the cumulative views seemed to be, yes, we knew it would be difficult to win, however, we expected more of a performance than that. Now let's kick off with the views of Cherry's fan down under, Rob Frank. Sorry but this is disgraceful. Huge mistake from how to go 4-4-2 against the same system Spurs used to destroy us. Absolute embarrassment. Just mentally bottle it against big name players every time. And many people agreed. Yes we were outclassed but once again it seemed to be a downfall of our own making. Red and Black 68 tweeted, Not going to single out a player in a poor team performance. Today it's Howe, his tactics and stubbornness that need examining. Mr O tweeted, We've done enough to stay up. The true test now is to whether Eddie has the stones to say goodbye to the lads who've got us here. Grockle Free tweeted, Beaten by a much, much, much better side. For me, Howe must take the lion's share of blame. Wrong formation against an excellent side. And another from Red and Black 68 who said, Also, this we were much better than them in the second half nonsense. City stopped playing after 20 minutes, they just treated it like a training match. And then Matt Morris tweeted, Do we have the players to deal with opponents who press us ferociously? We've been destroyed several times by it this season. And indeed, as Matt said, if you actually watch back on the replay, you can hear Pellegrini shouting, press them, press them. Now, at this point, I was going to find the audio from the game, but firstly, we're probably not allowed to play it. And secondly, it does mean I'd have to watch the game again. So let's roll on to discuss some individuals. Just before I do so, though, it's worth saying that here at Back of the Net, we're not out to vilify any individuals. We're merely trying to gauge the reaction of fans, and it seems that two of our midfield duo were under much criticism, both of whom, incidentally, were involved in playing for their country in the week. Boscombe Albion tweeted, We got what we deserved. When we face quality, we get well beaten. There should be no surprises. We know O'Kane is not Premier League quality. And then Alex Deutsch tweeted, The only award Matt Ritchie should have won today was the award for having marginally better hair than Sami Nasri. And also, if O'Kane is an international footballer, I'm just about to embark on a worldwide tour with the Rolling Stones as my support. And then Gemma Pollard said, I can't help but think Francis looked like the only one who deserved to be on the pitch today. Finally, Sam Summers tweeted, You know O'Kane was not our worst player today. Look elsewhere for a scapegoat, please. And... By the way, Sam, so, so, so glad you used the correct terminology. Indeed, the phrase, as you said, is scapegoat and not escapegoat. Escapegoat with an E? I can imagine, however, on the Facebook Loud and Proud forum, there's definitely someone who would say something like that. Not that I belong to the forum, but it does seem to cause a lot of hilarity over on Twitter, at least. And the idiocy did seem to continue when a screenshot was posted of Cherry's fan Lance in a disagreement. Who told a fellow supporter to not look a gift house, pal? A gift house? Classic, Lance. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say next. It's going to be amusing. You know what? I'd even put my horse on it. By the way, big thumbs up to Steve Phillips, who responded with a picture of GTs in Winton with the comment, For me, This is the ultimate gift house. Steve, incidentally, is my brother in law, so this information was quite handy for me as I now know which shop I need to go to in order to get a refund on my Christmas presents. Cheers for that, Steve. Anyway, back to the game. And upon losses such as this, though, there's always a definitive divide between the AFC Bournemouth supporters, as Gary C on the Vitals Forum pointed out. Sometimes I despair of our so called supporters. Great noise till we went one down, and then silence for the rest of the game. People ranting at our own players, applauding their goals, applauding their subs. Half the ground went home before the final whistle. Truly pathetic in timpot. And then AD responded on the forum by saying, I agree Gary, first time I've ever had a pop at another fan during a game today, but the idiot in the seat behind me needed a good slap. Nothing was good enough, we were all rubbish, and Eddie needed to go etc. Truly mind boggling, people need to remember where we've come from. But then Big Fat Holly said I'm starting to get fed up with this people need to remember where we came from quote The manager and the players are paid thousands a week and the last two performances have been unacceptable in my opinion and as we are paying supporters we are entitled to question a poor performance and tactics I agree about the ground going quiet but that's what happens when you're being humiliated on the pitch I've said my bit about leaving early but everyone on here unanimously agreed it was acceptable it's just more people did it today But of course, as time passes, people do cool down. Now, I hope I haven't overdone it on the negative tweets, but it's always nice to finish on some uplifting notes. So, here's a few tweets. Sam Summers again tweeted, At one point we had eight players on the pitch from the League One promotion against Champions League quality. Try not to overreact. And then Amy Nichols, who's the bastion of positivity, over on Twitter said, It was just a bad day at the office. Let's take positives put negatives aside, onwards and upwards, UTCIAD, we can do it. Keith Brewer tweeted, given how some of our fans are at yesterday's performance, what must be the level of vitriol at Newcastle? Good point. And then Les Fry tweeted, I just get so annoyed with negative Bournemouth fans when we lose, enjoy the Premier League and next season will be even better. Well Les... Let's hope so. So to conclude, great news on Callum, but a poor, poor show against Manchester City. On this occasion, we'll give the final summation to Neil Dawson, who always posts his excellent match reports on the Vitals Forum every week. This week he said, You can look at this in a couple of ways. Some people will say the value of City's individual players being more than our whole team justifies this performance. I disagree. If this was the attitude, then there would never be a Leicester City. Remember, this is the same City side that a couple of weeks ago couldn't score past a Norwich defence that is more porous than a colander. The formation ended up all over the place. God knows where Gradle was playing at at times. And all the structure, telepathic knowledge of teammates and energy was completely lacking. Yes, the opposition was superb, but we have always matched teams for energy and passion. We didn't come close today. Predictable. Way too predictable, the team owe us a performance against Villa next week. Well said, Neil. So, it's over to you, Eddie.
0: Hi, this is Gary Chapman, the bloke who stands in the back of the North stands, shouting up the cherries. You're listening to Back of the Net.
1: Mings brings bad news as his injury recovery takes a slight step backwards. Tyrone Mings, the £8 million summer signing who suffered a serious knee injury six minutes into his Terry's debut back in August versus Leicester, was aiming to be back in time for pre season training. However, in the past week, he has had to undergo some further surgery on his knee to remove some pins that were causing some pain. As such, Mings told Cherry's player that although he is hoping to be able to do some training during pre-season, it is now likely to be once the next season is underway before he could consider getting back to the start of full training. We wish you all the best, Tyrone, and look forward to eventually seeing you back on the pitch. Wilson steps forward with his training. In more positive injury news within the squad, following the news that Callum Wilson had returned to training, it seems that his recovery is well on track to soon see him back leading the line. A video on Cherry's player shows Wilson fully participating with team training and even shows him sticking the ball in the back of the net, which is a sight we've all wanted to see. Eddie Howe spoke cautiously of Wilson's return during his pre-match press conference when he said, I think we are beginning to see more of the normal Callum now, throwing his body here, there and everywhere, stepping across the defenders and giving them a tough time in training. It's been good to see. I'm still slightly cautious with him because I'm thinking of his long-term future. I don't want to rush him back. When he's ready, he's ready, and I think we'll know that, and he'll know that, so there is no pressure from our side. So let's just hope he's ready soon. Richie isn't feeling itchy feet, as Hal says he's going nowhere. Speculation has once again been swooping around Matt Ritchie during the past couple of weeks that some of the top clubs in the Premier League are eyeing him up as a potential summer signing. His goal for Scotland during the international break certainly only added to the interest and if any scouts just read the match reports of the Man City game then his Man of the Match award would have also no doubt been fed back up the recruitment chain. Eddie Howe, though, insisted to the Daily Echo that Richie is here to stay by telling the local paper Matt is here, we are happy to have him here and I think he's happy to be here and I look forward to working with him for a long time. So having just become a dad for the first time as well, the appeal of the South Coast as a great place to bring up a child might help should the offers come in at some point in the future. Just think about that, Maddie. More youngsters sign on with the Cherries. Four under-21 players have just signed new one-year deals at the club as Jordan Lee, Callum Buckley, Joe Quigley and Patrick O'Flaherty all put pen to paper following their first season as a professional. With the lads getting a mix of experience either on loan at lower-level clubs or by training with the first team, under-21 coach Stephen Purchase said... Since signing their first professional terms, they have all shown a great willingness and application to improve. They are making the most of being in and around senior players at the club and during their loan spells, which will help them progress as players. Jordan Lee will be known to AFCB fans, having made one appearance for the first team this year in the FA Cup versus Birmingham City, while Joe Quigley will be known to all you gamers out there as he appears in the Bournemouth squad in FIFA 16.
2: Thank you very much, Sean Barker, for the club news. And you can certainly put back on your trousers again, but you might want to put on your pants first, eh? But yeah, very interesting headline there. What was that I heard? Richie isn't feeling itchy feet, as Howe says he's going nowhere. Now, was was there a headline last week that seemed to get lost in the ether a bit about Dubai? You need to explain that one again, Sean. This is you can't be a good pun or, or a bad pun as it seems. It's, so last
1: week's, yeah, well, they had the Dubai tree. I think it was a uh, fans say Dubai to the players as they head overseas. See, see what I did. Dubai. Good. Goodbye. And then this one, it was, well, Very what good. rhymes with Richie? Well, it, it itchy. Is that, is that good? I'll tell you what yeah. I'd like to do, Sam. I'd love, uh, cause I love a good pun. I'm sure you do as well. Dear listener. Oh, wow. After every game, if you have a good pun that kind of sums up the headline of the match review, then, can you tweet it to me? And I just, I might not mention them. I just might just sit and read them myself, but I just love a good pun.
2: Yeah. I guess. So, so did anything stand out for you with the online opinions this week, Sean? Well, it's been, like you said, pretty heated and the, again,
1: the kind of barometer of really wild and we need to sack all the players and we need to buy 10 new players next season. And then we go the other extreme, which is, oh, do you know what? Who cares? It was against Man City and it's just great to be here. I definitely feel fit more in the middle. I think uh, I'm a realist enough to know that against these top sides, we were probably going to struggle. Well, I know we talked about it before at the start of the season, you look at the top traditional top six clubs and go, we're not going to get anything from any of them. So let's not even think about them. And everyone seemed to be, or lots of people seem to be on that wavelength. And then of course, I think the biggest thing is that this league is bloody tough and the Testament to the players is the the high standards that they have set. And Eddie said it earlier in the year, is that you need to work hard for every single point that you get in this league. And I think that's really, really true. Unlike any other league we've played in, we've had to really perform to pick up the draws, to pick up the wins. There's very few that we've picked up easily. And the difference is, though, is that if your standards do drop in this league, you do get punished, whereas... I would say that further down the pyramid, you could play poorly and still pick up wins. I don't think we're at that stage yet.
2: Mm. It's certainly going to help having Callum Wilson back. And obviously it was referenced in the club news just then and also before that in the online review. I wonder what the betting is about him remaining our top scorer at the end of the season, because it's more than feasible, isn't it? It is, because I bet if he's back, he wants to take penalties. for for sure for sure now you know what sean i'm really excited about hearing a certain jingle oh you, you you do like the jingle now last week we launched the
1: brand new feature which is do you remember where it's a little quiz just to test your memory on former players so we've got one for you this week and we will bring you the answer at the end of the show but here you go sam ready to get all tingly here comes that music This centre midfielder was born on the 13th of December 1973 and made his professional debut as a Bournemouth player in 1992. He played a starring role during the 94-95 Great Escape season playing 40 games and scoring 6 goals. Five of those goals coming in the vital last six games of that season to help the Cherries avoid what appeared to be an inevitable relegation. To this day, I've never seen a better player at passing the ball straight back to the taker from a throw-in. He signed for West Ham in 1996 but then returned to the Cherries in the 99-2000 season where he played 32 games and scored 4 goals. He left the Cherries at the end of that season and started a career in acting. Featuring as part of the England team for the 2001 movie Mike Bassett, England Manager, as the player Parksey. He also appeared in the Sky TV series Dream Team as Robbie Walsh. My favourite goal of his was the 30-yard super strike away at Brentford in the penultimate game of that famous 95 Great Escape season. So there you go, Sammy, this week's Do You Remember? And my question to you, my friend, is do you remember?
2: Do you remember? Well, that's the last time I've ever heard a sing, but that is so, so catchy. I I think I do know. Um, one of the clues towards the end really stood out for me, so I've got a feeling I do know, but do you remember at home? That's the question.
1: Yeah, we're not going to tell you now. We'll tell you at the end of the show. Here's an additional clue Ooh. he had really great hair like a proper footballer's haircut i remember i was do you remember i remember sean uh oh that's really great sean uh i was how old was i 14 15 whatever i was and i had my hair styled like him because it was proper footballer's haircut
0: hmm.
1: now i've got the I don't know, Robbie Savage look by the looks of it at the moment. But anyway, enough of that. So we're going to move on now to the feature for this week. Now, we like to bring you things that kind of tell you a little bit more about the club, maybe areas of the club that you didn't know about. And the feature this week, Sam went down to the ground because part of the Premier League initiative is a fan zone. So if you're, especially if you're away from Bournemouth maybe overseas like me or maybe just out of town and you can't get to match days, Sam's going to bring you... All the fun and frolics from the fan zone.
2: Well, it is a beautiful day here today at the Vitality Stadium. We are awaiting the arrival of Manchester City in what's uh, going to be a very tough game against a world class side. Although they've been stuttering of late, they do have ridiculous amounts of talent. But it's around half 12 now, and there are throngs of people here already waiting to greet players and just soaking up the atmosphere outside Dean Court. I've been stood here now for about 10 minutes, and it's interesting because you see the same faces appearing every five minutes or so. I swear they're doing circuits of the stadium. But anyhow, outside the main stand here, we've got the fan zone open, and this is an initiative that seems to be active at every Premier League ground this season with loads of activities for kids and teenagers alike. There's an inflatable goal here with the chance to kick the living daylights out of a football to see your speed of shot. If only we had Neil Masters here. Do you remember Shoot Magazine in the 90s once had him on record as having the hardest shot. I'll always remember that. But there's plenty of kids here having a go. I think I'm going to give it a go myself now too. Hang on a sec. Yeah, enough said about that. But, uh, I've just got a lower score than an eight year old who went before me. Great. I blame it on the conditions. Yeah. Uh, so the fan zone, it does go further on into the concourse under the family stand. And it's open to youngsters under the age of 16. Now, I'm exactly double that age. So I'm hoping if I use some teenage buzzwords, I may be able to sneak into this right now. Right. Safe and cowabunga in it. I'm in. I'm in. All is good. So what have we got here? Oh, this is cool, actually. Well, there's an Xbox here with some lads playing FIFA to my right. A couple of sort of wall-mounted screens. And uh, they seem to be... Uh, Man United versus Real Madrid at the moment. 3-2 to Real. Fair play. Um, I, myself, am absolutely awful at all computer games in the world. Put it this way, the last game I completed was probably Sonic the Hedgehog on the Master System. Absolute shocker. Elsewhere... There's face painting going on, balloon artists and all sorts of other games and activities. This uh, whole thing, incidentally, just got a leaflet here. It's sponsored by Broomhill Garden Buildings. Now, they're AFC Bournemouth's official family stand sponsor. And uh, I believe that there are usually appearances by first team players who pop down and see the kids. Alf and Cherry Bear, who will always come down and show his beautiful furry face... Haven't? Oh no! In fact, there he is. Let me uh, let me grab a word. I feel like Martin Brundle doing the grid walk here. Hang on. Hi, Cherry Bear. How do you think we're going to do today? Hmm. Oh, he's gone for one all. Uh, sorry. Yeah, we're from back of the net, the AC with podcast. Nope, he's not heard of us either. Great. Uh, yeah, I'm fine thanks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, just been uh, challenged to a game of FIFA by. Uh, A person a third my size and probably a fifth of my age, uh, I have politely declined. He would absolutely annihilate me. So as I continue to walk around here, there are kids doing some keepy-uppies. There's a tuck shop. Hang on, let me just check out these sweets. Oh man, they've got the fake teeth sweets. I used to love those. Oh my goodness, right. That's good value as well, actually. Might be cracking on with some of that in a bit. Elsewhere, there's hula hoops, scooters, a giant Kinect 4 and loads more. The kids absolutely seem to love it.
3: Amazing.
2: And what do you think of the entertainers? He's
3: Very good, but he's
1: silly.
2: So other Premier League teams also run these fan zones, and it's certainly a great addition so that kids can be kept entertained whilst their parents maybe sup a pint in the 1910 bar. It is nice and safe here, all secure. It does really seem like a little family. Plenty of laughs... Plenty of smiles. Just uh, just hope for their sake that they'll be all reacting the same way come 5pm tonight, eh? Come on, you Reds! Well,
1: unfortunately, Sam, little Billy would have gone home in tears at the end of the game due to the result. But uh, at least he got to beat you in the shooting competition.
2: Yeah, and that was the most embarrassing thing. Now... I can't make any excuses, but I did like slightly trip and I got my, I got my like pacing all wrong. So I only had half a kind of leg swing and that, that was my excuse. Okay, Sean,
1: <laughs> whatever, Sam. Now the the fan zone then, so is that only for kids that have got tickets into the family stand or if, if you've got a kid anywhere else in the ground, can they go in as well?
2: No, I know you can go in. All you got to do is uh, show a ticket and uh, it was, it was really good in there and uh, loads of kids having fun. And, there are, you know, there are a lot of kids that probably don't even know about this. So, you know, have a go with the inflatable goal thing. Don't outscore me again, but you can play FIFA. There's all sorts of things to do in there. Meet the players, as I said. Cherry Bear comes along. It's just um, it's just a really good way to spend a couple of hours. And it usually opens at about half past twelve. So for a three o'clock kickoff, about half twelve. Oh, it sounds great. Well,
1: when I'm next over, I'll um, smuggle myself in and have a quick game. Do it. So this week's supporter profile is Alex Deutsch, who is on Twitter as
2: at Alex Deutsch and describes himself as beautifully tin pot. Now, I've actually met Alex Deutsch's mum. <laughs> really? Have you met Alex? Yeah, of course. Of course, no. It was in uh, Bubble Champagne Lounge, actually. It was uh, when Bournemouth played Southampton, won 2-0 at home, and it was her first ever home game. So he did the whole pre-match experience with her and went to the went to the bar beforehand, got an announcement at half-time, took her around the club shop, and she must be a lucky mascot because what a win that was. What a lovely son. Beautifully tin pot, wonderful
1: son. So here's this week's supporter profile.
0: Supporter Profile. Please state your name. Alex Deutsch. Where do you live? Bournemouth. First Bournemouth game attended. I honestly can't remember. I think it, it was definitely in the old stadium. Um, I went once with my dad and then I didn't come back for a while. And then someone dragged me along just after we got promoted from Cardiff. So I didn't even to that game. Um, and then I stopped going to games ever since. But I honestly couldn't tell you who we played or what the Favourite player of all time and why? Uh, Steve Fletcher, um, because of that Grimsby goal. Favourite current player and why? Tequilo Remy, um, because he reminds me very much of how I would be if I was on that football pitch I would try and try but ultimately um, well we all know the rest favourite all time AFCB game it'd be the Bolton 3-0 game it was uh, i never experienced anything like it as a Bournemouth fan your greatest Bournemouth fan Goal. It was the Matt Ritchie goal in the Bolton game. The layoff from Kermit and then the, the, the sweep and finish. Uh, it's the loudest I've ever heard Dean Court celebrate a goal. It was goosebumply good. Best moment as a Bournemouth fan? Um, that was at Charlton when we found that uh, the, uh, when had equalised and just seeing the Mexican waves of celebrations go all the way around the stadium until the news hit us, and it was just jubilant. If you could sign any player, past or present, who would it be, and why? This is a strange one, but I'd probably say currently Payet, because he's easily the best player I've seen at Bean Court. Chant of choice. TK Ranty, baby. TK Ranty, oh. What league position will we finish in this season? 13th, I think.
2: And thank you to Alex Deutsch for this week's supporter profile. And finally, we know how to pronounce the surname. And I've got to say, Alex, I admire your love for TK Ranty. In fact, I have seen that video that you posted on Vine and Twitter, where it was at the AFC Bournemouth thing at the beach where we got promoted, the fans were there, there were thousands of people behind him. He's at the very front, and he starts to sing, TK Ranty, baby, and he raises his camera up, and you could just see hundreds of people behind him looking at him absolutely clueless. It was a (laughs) priceless moment. If you get a chance to see that, follow him on Twitter, scroll back through his timeline. Alex, maybe (laughs) pin that tweet so people can see it if you can. So, it's a big game on Saturday. We could relegate Aston Villa, Sean. We well, we didn't play that well against Man City. I'd like to think we'd put in an excellent show against Villa. We seem to do well when we play in Birmingham, aside from cup matches of course. Now, formation-wise, team lineup-wise, have you got any early thoughts at this stage?
1: well we've got a few people missing, I guess, to cover off first of all, so um Benicofobe sounds like he could be out for up to four weeks. Adam Smith now out with the groin injury, which apparently he'd been having a problem for around six weeks with, but it's finally got the better of him, so we can't we would expect Smith to be out. Arta, by the sounds of it still going to be out as well, so um, when we look at the starting team. Boric, my man of the match from last week, uh, will start in goal. Then looks like we're going to be back to the old days with Francis at right back, Elphick Cook yeah. centre-backs and Daniels on the left. And then we're looking at, well, what are we going to shape up? I'm going to plump that we will stick 4-4-2. And I will say Sermon and O'Kane will once again start in the middle as we look to give them another game together with Richie... And Gradle, and then I'm going to pick King and grabbin to remain up top.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree apart from i well this is something i'd rather have whether this will happen i would probably rather play gosling than sermon in the middle um but apart from that i agree with everything that's been said i think uh there's no reason against villa no reason in the world to play four-five-one. there's no point in doing that now if you're going to do it against city you can do it you know there's no point in doing it against villa So do you find it interesting about
1: Gosling and Michael on all departments kind of alluded to this? I think it was the episode after the Spurs game that suddenly Gosling's not been playing as much as he was prior. Do you have any? What do you why do you think that is?
2: I don't know. Um. It's it's very interesting actually because during the four five one days he wasn't ever present this season he and he's been he's been doing very well in that position and uh, you know the three of them sermon Gosling and Arter I think have been a fantastic triumvirate now there's a word I don't say uh, that much but yeah. You know what? Whether he fits into a four four two or not, I don't know. But it seems that when you know now that we've gone four four two, it seems that he's being played less so. And I don't know whether maybe uh, Eddie Howe thinks O'Kane's got a bit more vision and he's got the ability to spread the ball better than Gosling. I don't know. Have you got any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, we, we when we say. 442 it can often shape up the 4231 which i guess is why O'Kane and Sermon are both in there to both sit deep but then that's the problem if you've got kind of competing players that both want the ball from the back four then that's maybe why we've got some of the issues yep Gosling is pretty attack minded so maybe just leaves us a little bit exploited if he's rollicking forward yeah I'm not sure I just you know I really like Gosling and it just seems funny that suddenly he's kind of dropped out but maybe he'll be back but I I would imagine that Sermon and O'Kane will start I think man of the match Matt Ritchie will start because we've got the link up there with Francis on the right hand side which obviously did so well for us uh Graban or if you're watching match of the day highlights why Graban (laughs) which <laughs> was oh, like God. it's up there with Stanisloves. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, surely you could have just asked someone. Hey, this name, how do I say it? G- Graban. Anyway, I, I, I actually think he played pretty well, eh? And I think again we've talked about how Graban's getting sharper and sharper. And yes, just needs a goal. Maybe this is his chance. I mean, you know, I think the boys are going to be fired up because they're going to be pretty disappointed with the performance from the last two games. Obviously, Eddie's disappointed. I think playing away is probably a good thing from a supporter perspective. I think our away fans have been amazing this year. Home fans at times have been incredible. I think at times have maybe haven't helped us. Maybe we've gone a bit quiet because we don't feel like there's anything to shout about. So maybe the pressure will be slightly off. My only worry with... Aston Villa, I mean, having watched them, you should have absolutely no worries at all because they have just been... I mean, some people accuse our team of giving up already. Like, really? Have you watched any minutes of Aston Villa this season. Like, I think they gave up in November. Um, My only worry is is if they recruit their new manager before this weekend. Now, there's rumours that David Moyes might take the job, or Pearson, because he knows the championship really well. If a new boss comes in, that always makes me nervous because there's the chance of that immediate kind of short-term rise in performance levels, which could catch us um, I think prediction wise, I'm going to go 2 one victory, not the incredible performance and smashing that maybe some people are expecting, but I think we'll do enough to pick up three points and relegate Aston Villa.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know what I was, I was going to ask you, I mean, what must it be like being an Aston Villa player. They're 15 points from safety, six games to go, just lost 4-0, albeit it it was against Chelsea. But morale there must be absolute rock bottom. Like you say, a manager could quickly reinvigorate a squad, not not to the extent of saving them because we all sort of know they're doomed. My opinion, I don't know. Yeah, you know, my heart actually says... Bournemouth are going to win and win quite convincingly 2-3-0. However, I don't know. Um, they managed to beat Norwich. And I don't know. You know what? One all. Do
1: I sense another? Oh, I thought, I thought we were going to get another negative uh, prediction there. I thought you were going to bet against us again.
2: No. Uh, no, I, I'm going to say one all. I think, uh, you know, I would be happy with a point, you know, really three points. At the start of the season, I'd have absolutely, you know, bitten your hand off for a point at Villa Park. But obviously we know how it's gone for them. But I don't know. I just, you know, I think we need to get back into the swing of things and one point at Villa would be okay.
1: Mm, We'll see. See, I think almost the same, except I think in the last 10 minutes, Graban will pop up with the winner.
0: (laughs) This is Steve Jones and you're listening to Back of the Net.
2: So that's almost it from this week's show. Now, I want to go back to Do You Remember Now? Mm -hmm. And I know that you style your hair on this player, or you did. I was about to say AD Pennock, Sean, but uh, that's (laughs) what it is now. But I think I know who it was from back in the day. Now, was it Mr. Scott Mean? Ping,
1: ping, ping, ping. Yay, right answer. You've won a, a
2: motorboat. Woo! Wheel
1: it, no, you haven't. Wheel it away. You can't afford the motorboat. Well done, Sam. It was Scott Mean, who I used to love. What a great player! Real shame that, yeah, unfortunately, he got a injury to his knee. That kind of as like it did for many players. Caused him to finish probably sooner than he should have done. And he didn't quite get his break when he went to West Ham when they were in the Premier League. And yeah, real shame. But that, I'll never forget that that goal he got at Brentford. Look online at YouTube, refresh your memory on that because it was an absolute screamer yeah. from 30 yards. Oh. But yeah, Scott Mean, next week, another Do You Remember?
2: Yeah, I just wonder which one of our current squad could possibly have a TV career after after the game. I can imagine Harry Arter being in some kind of thriller. Who knows? Maybe maybe I'm just being a bit stupid there. Have your say. Why not get in touch with us? Remember, you can email us. It's fans at afcbpodcast.com. If you haven't followed us on Twitter, there's no excuse. Do it now. We're at afcbpodcast. Check out our Facebook page as well. That's facebook.com. Forward slash AFCB podcast. Now, however you're listening, remember to press the subscribe button. You can do it on YouTube and do it on iTunes, whatever your podcast app is. Press subscribe and that means back of the net, the AFCB podcast will be coming on to your phone every Tuesday morning
1: it certainly will so thank you so much once again for your ears for however long this podcast has lasted if you're just new to the game then yeah on our website we've got all the old episodes so you can kind of go back and get oh that's why they're talking about seagulls and whatever else you can keep up to date so next week's show we'll review the Aston Villa smashing where we totally destroyed them and we've renamed the stadium the Lewis Graben Stadium uh, they've renamed the stadium Lewis Graben Stadium after his Incredible performance, uh, hopefully. We'll also preview the next game. They just don't let up. It's the it's the boys in red from Liverpool. They're arriving uh, at, to the Vitality Stadium in the Premier League. Oh, and then it's Chelsea, then Everton, then West Brom, and then Man United. They just keep on going. It'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. So we'll bring you all the features, supporter profiles, and everything else we can throw at you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Back of the Net. AFC Bournemouth Podcast.
0: And it's coming through the middle. Recovering challenge from Everton. He's he's on side. Hayter! He's got hat-trick.
3: it! It's absolutely unbelievable! James Hater has a three-minute hat-trick at D court!